Welcome to the EverSaline podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics, and reducing costs. The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Today, we're joined by James Franz, who is the Vice President of Global Operations at the Toyota Way Academy, the birthplace of lean excellence and the Toyota production system. Jim will share with us his fascinating career journey, providing us an insight into how the Toyota Way has evolved and give us the inside scoop into his Shingo Prize winning book, The Toyota Way to Continuous Improvement, which he co-authored with Dr. Jeffrey Leiker. Jim himself was trained by Toyota in both Japan and the United States, providing him with a diverse learning experience that I think we are all envious of. Jim is the co-founder of the Toyota Way Academy, along with Dr. Jeffrey Leiker, and as well as inspiring others through lean leadership over a remarkable career, Jim has applied his knowledge and skills practically within engineering and manufacturing environments to become proficient and recognized as an industry expert, where he has earned global accolades. Utilising the Toyota production system principles, Jim has successfully led enterprise-wide transformations that streamline operations, optimise productivity and introduce system efficiencies. This work continues as he is currently working with companies worldwide across multiple industries to develop leadership, product and process improvement to achieve significant improvements in endline quality, leadership, productivity, lead time and cost reductions. And finally, and certainly not least, Jim's credentials include BS and MS degrees in engineering from the General Motors Institute and the University of Michigan. Jim, welcome to the Eversaline podcast. And did I miss anything? Uh, no, not at all. That was uh, quite thorough. I'm looking around to see who it is you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you do have quite the history, though, to be honest. It's hard to squeeze it all into a short introduction. Yeah, for sure. I've been uh, I've been very fortunate. This is going on 37 years in the trenches, so I've certainly had a, a lot of luck and a lot of opportunities that I've been able to take advantage of. I think that's where we should probably start is right back at the beginning where this all began because it's it's fascinating. T- tell us about where this this all came from. Uh, let's see. It was uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, an economic recession had uh, a young engineer looking for employment. And this was at the same time that Toyota was looking to create a North American engineering footprint. So I was hired with uh, eight or nine others as this first cohort of uh, production engineering, uh, kind of sitting between the designers and the plants. And they hired us and shipped us all off to Japan and the different functions in engineering uh, to start learning our trade. So I was over there for a couple years. After those assignments wound down, we uh, 
repatriated back to the U.S., uh, was working there, went down to Kentucky to work on uh, launches down there, eventually left, went to a, another company. They basically gave me a, a lot of money, <laughs> you know, the usual reason for, for jumping ship, and I was young. And in 99, I met uh, Dr. Jeffrey Liker, who is a great guy, technically academic, but probably one of the, the greatest connector minds I've ever met. If he hears something once, he keeps it in place and connects dots. And four years later, he connected some mental dots, reached out to me, and I started working with him as a consultant. And he started shipping me all over the planet to start learning my consulting trade. And we've been doing that now for 20 years this year. 2008, we formed the Swear Away Academy because we wanted to offer something different in this space. We wanted, I guess, to teach the Toyota Way using the Toyota Way, which is the, the learn by doing. And you know, we contrast that with a lot of organizations that have massive binders of things and internal uh, teams running around doing things to organizations. And we found that to be incredibly ineffective and actually wasn't really what I learned when I was over there. So it's been a it's been a great ride uh, on the consulting. It was great living and working in Japan in that culture, which was all about the work. It was hard work. They didn't they didn't call it anything. They just called it work. It, it took uh, Womack Jones and Kravchek to come up with the word lean, which I think actually has done a little bit of disservice to what it is we're trying to do. But that's a that's a different topic. So I I have been just incredibly fortunate with the people I've been able to work with and the places I've been able to go. So I. I, I am truly grateful for the opportunities I've had. That's f- fantastic to be able to actually practice lean or work, as it was known back then, in Japan, in the culture. <laughs> but is that the key, though? Is the key the fact that it wasn't something special? It was just work. Well, I think there's yes. A short answer, yes. It's just the way they do the work and kind of the environment that you're working in. Uh, as we look from the outside in and try and write it down, you know, what what is it they do? What is the magic? What is well, it's it's hard work. And it's got a tremendous focus on people development, and that's typically what's get, that that gets missed. You know, when I first got over there, and like every Friday afternoon, I thought I was getting fired <laughs> because HR was coming down and talking to my coworkers and my manager. And you know, you hear the murmuring. I hadn't learned any Japanese yet, and all of a sudden, murmur, 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 Jimson, murmur, 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 Jimson, and then someone would look over at me, and I'm thinking, crap, I'm getting sent home. And it was just that HR was down, making sure how was I assimilating to the group? How was I assimilating to the culture? How was I assimilating to Japan? You know, was this a a horrible mistake or how's he doing? And just that level of involvement and engagement, making sure that I'm okay as a new hire was just totally alien as a concept. Like what HR group, you know, is that hands-on making sure that the kids are all right? I guess when when that happens, when when you're made to feel cared for and you're made to feel important it changes your ethic towards the work doesn't it you go that extra mile for people you feel like yeah I'm, I'm valued you do and you don't get assignments you know back then now look this was 30 something years ago so that they had two plants in america they had four plants in japan so what it's like today if there's a, a current employee listing they might be shaking their head <laughs> you know because we're, lo- we're looking at what this is when the world was in black and white so this is when i was there but it was good to be part of that team because we did stuff as a team. It wasn't, you know, Maochi-san, you go do this. Kimura-san, you go do that. Moria-san, you go do that. It's like, okay, Camry design finished. Let's review drawings. We still had drawings back then. <laughs> and I got a lot of learning assignments in, in, in the form of a question. So my trainer would say, oh, Jim-san, please explain 
some form of equipment that we were going to have to design and install in Kentucky in a couple of years. So I have no idea. He's like, well, please, please go find out, which was the go and see. Right. So I was always getting these questions, which were go learn about the system and come back and explain it to me and take your notebook and draw it so you can show me all the different parts of it. And it was just a very uh, immersive thing. But one of the funny things about the, the Japanese culture was the boss leaves first. So you're sitting there and the boss is working and, you know, it's eight, nine, ten o'clock at night and you're tired and you're just waiting for because everybody was in the, it was open office. You know, we were in the, the rows, our, our supervisor crossed the T and then the manager was uh, was further down. So everybody kind of you could tell when a manager got up to go because then the next level of the organization would grab their stuff and <laughs> then we could finally go. That's so. amazing. So everyone's just sitting there waiting for the person to leave. Like, just leave. No, they're all no, they're all work. They're all working. There was more work than there were than there was people. My trainer put in a the year I got over there. He was on I think thirty four hundred hours. Wow. Because the the government asked them to track and reduce the hours they were working. You know, this was right after peak Japan, right? This is when people were throwing themselves out of windows because of work stress kind of stuff. I just love the Japanese culture. I mean, I've been very fortunate, like yourself. I've I've worked a lot with uh, folk from Japan to deploy lean in in different companies, and I just always find them such a pleasure to work with, and and that they're so logical and and it is like you say, it's culture, it's natural. It's not they're not thinking we must do this the lean way. They just do it, and it is the lean way. Basically, yes. I mean, that's if, if that's all you know. If you were to go into a different system, just like. Something what we would consider like a current state company that reaches out, they would go in there and just be shocked and wonder <laughs> how in the world did this organization ever get this way? But that kind of leads to one of the things that I tell companies that I work with that puts them on their back foot a little bit is I say, excellence is optional. You don't need to be great to be in business. So you really need to make that choice. You know, do you want to be a world-class athlete or do you just want to shoot around on the weekend with your buddies? Because it's a choice. And there's with that choice comes consequences and massive investments in people and self-improvement and team building and all of that. Because the process and the tools will come. When I first started out, we had a Japanese sensei and he used to come over sort of every six months and he would like audit. So we had his literature and, we, and he came from Toyota and Fiat and all these manufacturing companies. And he'd come over every six months and we'd have an audit and we would present the, the pillars. So we had like workplace organization, logistics, people development, all the, the standard pillars. And I was the workplace organization lead and he had a bit of a fancy for workplace organizations. So he used to give me a little bit of extra time. And I used to find just spending five minutes with him over the lunch break and just talking to him about just this really basic stuff like you know what do you think about the way you've seen that we do this process and there's little snippets gifts I used to call them the gifts he would give us it just blow my mind like the way he thinks I just couldn't understand I'd never come across people before or a person before that thinks in that way and it opened a whole new world to me so inspiring yeah no that that's great and those are the those are the fun things to do when you're working with organizations when you can you know you can get that engagement you can see the light behind the eyes and the, and the clicking because for for this person like all the people that I've worked with and with me it's not like they or, or I were born with anything different it's just what we've been exposed to the system we've worked in and, and what the habits you know that we've created because you know when you've seen one factory you've only seen one factory you know everything out there is completely different but I think when people come in with those higher first principles of you know what problems are we trying to solve then the solution set can be totally 100 percent customized for the people that you know are trying to solve that problem 
So I think the, I mean, Jeff is very good at this as well. And a lot of um, other consultants that I've worked with is getting kind of behind the, you know, don't tell me what you're doing. You know, tell me the problems that you're trying to solve. Talk to me about your thinking. Talk to me about what you've tried. And then let's see what we can do, you know, to help you along a little bit. Because there is this wonderful diamond encrusted gold plated toolbox with all those lean tools in it. But that's not the power. You know, the power are those conversations that you had with with your trainer and to really impact the way you approach things. Because if, if you can look at things through a different set of eyes or using a different framework, you know, call it the lean framework, call it, call it Bob, I don't care, call it what you want, then it doesn't matter what's in that toolbox because you'll be reaching for something different than I will in a different situation. So it's, just, it's always the thinking. To me, that's the job of the, you know, the coach or the trainer is to not be impressed by how many, you know, yellow lines you've put down on the floor showing people where to put things, but rather talking about the problems that you're solving. Makes such sense. I can, just talking to you, I can see the Japanese culture in you. You sound like my professor. You say the same things. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> It's good. It's it's a compliment. It's really good. Thank you. Well, the the nice thing is it all does devolve kind of back to those first principles about what problem we're trying to solve. And I think uh, when Liker wrote Lean Leadership with Gary Convis, kind of the second question that all leaders need to be asking is who is the right person to solve this problem? So the organization needs help because we've got a gap, right? We've got a gap to a target or a gap to a standard. That's our problem. Now, how would the organization benefit from Matt solving it versus Jim solving it? Is that part of our long-term thinking around organizational development? What exposures does Matt need? Uh, Maybe Jim's the best at, you know, this uh, supplier replenishment thing. Maybe he's done it for 10 years. Matt needs to do it. So even though it's a little bit longer road, it's a longer runway to get this problem solved. We're better in the long run because now Jim was able to coach Matt and Matt was able to work through this and we've been able to be successful. So it goes back to that invest in the people. It does. And, you know, if you troll LinkedIn like I do, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of uh, pushback against, you know, well, it's it's not always leadership's fault if lean transformations fail, blah, blah. Yes, it is. I'm sorry. It is. Excellence is not something that's done by your frontline customer facing people. You know, this needs to be derivative from the vision of the corporation. It needs to percolate down through the organization and that the leaders are training their teams and then they are training their teams, etc. Now, this is not an integrative act. This is not something where, well, we've got 17 Kaizen teams spread across North America, and we've tasked them with doing three Kaizen events a month. Therefore, ipso facto, ergo, at the end of the quarter, there's going to be money piling up you know, at headquarters. That's such a common mistake, though. I mean, I've experienced that where you know, I sit down at the beginning of the year where I've been a, uh, a lean leader of a team within an organization and they've said to me right next year how much are you going to save i'm like sorry they go how much money are you going to save and i I go well i don't know let's base it on kaizen events rather than on money and then we'll work at the money after no no we need to know how much you're going to save we want 100 million from you yeah okay (laughs) sure put me down for 105 i like to overachieve it's it's lack of knowledge isn't it they just don't understand i think yeah and and where you're tearing your hair out, jumping out of your skin, wanting to scream at them. No, set the targets for the business. Identify those gaps. That will help us determine direction and what we need to go work on. It needs to be derivative. It can't be integrative or integrative or I hated calculus. So <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I wouldn't know the difference. So well done. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> 
<laughs> Brilliant. So many of our listeners are at the moment in the current climate. They're looking at lean and going, right, we need to save money. We need to be more frugal in our organisation. We want to create a culture. So this is this might be the very first time they've heard about lean. And the Toyota production system, TPS, is like the daddy of them all. What would be your advice for someone who's just starting out then? Avoid subjective words like that word salad you just threw at me. <laughs> Too much, not enough, more, less. Yeah. Boil it down into where are we? Where do we need to be objectively? What's the gap? Let's break it down and start working one by one to solve problems. And really what I've just kind of given you there is the, the engine behind the Toyota Kata that Mike Rother came out with about 15, 16 years ago. Jeff and Mike have been working exclusively to continue to develop Kata. So Jeff has kind of moved off of uh, Toyota, etc. And he's really down into what we consider kind of that primal element of, you know, continuous improvement, that Higgs boson, if you will, which is, you know, set the set the target, set the direction, understand where you are, understand where you're going to go next, like your next step, not not your your giant leap across the, the English Channel to, to France, but just what are we going to do next? And then experiment, iterate, try, 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 try. Find a coach, be a coach. I mean, it doesn't get, if, if people are looking to get started, uh, don't look to go to a three-week seminar hosted blackity blabbity bloobity blibbity. Just for God's sake, find a coach, be a coach, and start iterating intelligently, scientifically on solving these problems. The answer is not going to be in a book. Great advice. Really good. I've got a stack of books. <clears throat> I think everyone does, don't they? Everyone who does lean's got a complete stack of books in the corner. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I, I say that, you know, with a little tongue in cheek and that whenever I do executive education, I always tell the, the managers and leaders uh, in the executive course, I said, stop reading. Stop reading. Book, book's bad. You know, fire bad. And they kind of look at me funny and it's like, it's, the answer's not in there. You're going to get some good context framework, some good uh, war stories, you know, from other organizations, how they've done it. But the challenge is not to increase your knowledge of the topic. The The challenge is to increase your experience with it. You know, so you can you can start on a on a continuum, I guess. So you'll acknowledge that's your stack of books. You know, you'll have some skills where you, you just start out trying things, you know, your first few projects. And we all remember those, right? Our first few engagements, yeah. those were hilarious. <laughs> but then over time, then you start building that experience, right? You've got those stories now. You've got that scar tissue because nothing ever goes the way it's supposed to go. If you can get where you're trying to go without really trying or stumbling or falling or getting any scar tissue, you should have been there already. You're just lazy. Yeah, I was told once, um, I think it's one of my trainers that said to me, Fa failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. <laughs> It's it, true, isn't it, it? Is. it? It is. It's true. And <laughs> as long as, you know, if you're sticking with that, like the Kata framework, if you make a mistake or if what comes out of that experiment isn't what you thought you were going to get, that's experience. And it's also never going to be fatal to the company because your coach is going to make sure before you run that experiment that you're not, you know, pushing the big red button to see what it does. Yeah, it's true. You learn some of the best lessons through the things that don't quite go so well. Yeah, and the, the best part of that learning isn't that you, you didn't get what you thought you were going to get. It's rather, how did you respond to that? You know, what are you and the team going to do now? What did you learn? What are you going to try next? You know, one of the things I always appreciated uh, after I left the company, looking back in at some of the internal documents that they used, uh, from a leadership perspective, it, the concept of what's next you know, pervaded all of that literature in that, you know, good job, but what's next? You know, in, in the U.S., we like to celebrate, you know, you, you got to have your back slapped and you got to have a team photo and you got to get 
Amazon gift cards or whatever. It's not necessarily the embodiment of what's next. But that that's a cultural piece again, isn't it? So in America, people like to celebrate backslap. You know, if someone wins the lottery in America, everyone's like, oh, well done, man. You really deserve it. I'm really pleased for you. In the UK, if you win the lottery, everyone goes, well, he didn't deserve it. He shouldn't have got it. Should have been me. It's well, a totally different culture. <laughs> Absolutely. You've got to be in it to win it. So the, to- the Toyota production system then, TPS, what does that framework look like? What, what actually is that? Well, nothing was written down when I was there. So the Toyota Way uh, didn't get first put pen to paper until like the early 2000s. I think when, when Toyota realized it, the size they were getting, just that tribal teaching, the tribal learning uh, wasn't going to be effective. They were just getting too big too fast. So when you look at the TPS framework, it's been written up a lot of different ways. You know, you've got the traditional house that's got the JIT and Jidoka pillars that you see for production operations. But if you go kind of above that to the you know, the corporate vision, the corporate approach, you just find the two pillars, right? You find challenge and then you find respect for people. And if you can really stay with those two concepts, then the rest of it will come. It's derivative. I've seen so many complex frameworks written up and drawn up by people. And really what they're trying to do is take an incredibly rich, you know, context heavy culture and approach to one type of business and they're trying to put it into a two-dimensional thing and that's really hard because how do you you know where do you put in there at 6 a.m i'm standing next to my desk in motomachi number two doing my exercises to that corny music that's playing through the speakers you know what is that part of how does that get mapped into one of these giant you know cultural type things and and i wouldn't worry about it i, I think we spend too much time worrying about the you know, the rituals and the, the idols and that kind of stuff. I mean, if you understand that we're, we're on a road to excellence and the only way we're going to get there is by instilling a sense of challenge into every employee we have and challenging them and stretching them while also showing the deepest respect for them as people, what else do you need? Everything else is going to come from that. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah. So, you know, you see what you, you've been there, right? You've gone into organizations and you've seen the walls covered with stuff, banners, team photos, exhortations. But if you look at a high level, the business is still just kind of bumbling along. And it's because they've missed it. They've focused on tools. They've focused on uh, Kaizen's per time series. And what did, what'd you do last week? Oh, we 5S the supply closet by the copier that doesn't work. Really fantastic. You know, how did that help the organization uh, reduce its late ships to the customer? But so often, though, you, you, I, I go into plants and, you know, I, I talk about 5S and more often than not, people think 5S is just drawing yellow lines on the floor. They miss the key element. Exactly. And it's basically a 2 or 2.5S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but that just that goes back to the point you were making before about the leadership and the management of the company. They're clearly not doing the training properly to educate people on the value of doing a really good 5S exercise. Yeah, and it's also their lack of understanding about what it's for because what you just described is what we typically find in that, you know, all of this transformational work is something else people have to do. It's it's not the method by which they're going to be successful this quarter, you know, this this year and the next five. It's something else people have to do. And when push comes to shove, if you're not there on a daily basis welded to the hip, they're just going to go to old habits. Yeah, it doesn't sustain, does it? It just it just crumbles. I won't name the company, but I was in an organization once where they had a, a world-class manufacturing that they were badging this under. And they had a world-class manufacturing team and these were all operational managers that were released from their day jobs and they spent 
every single day working on world-class manufacturing in the background. Then they would roll it out into onto the shop floor, ask everybody to participate in it, and then roll it away for another six months. And I think the point you made just then is so important. This isn't extra work. This isn't on top of your day job. This is how you should be doing your job. You do it this way. And that method that I just described just then didn't work and it didn't stick because it was a tick box exercise. Are you ready to elevate your team's ways of working? Are you seeking fresh insights and growth opportunities? Our experts will assess your team's practices, providing valuable insights for improvement and celebration. Reward and recognize your team with this certification tailored specifically for creating an improvement culture. The BQF Academy accreditation acknowledges your journey, outstanding outcomes and future plans. Whether you utilize Lean, Six Sigma, project management, or continuous improvement techniques, this certification celebrates your incredible work and positive impact. Propel your team's performance to new heights with the BQF Team Excellence Culture Certification. Visit www.bqf.org.uk today and let's celebrate your success together. 13-time single prize winner, Dr. Jeffrey Liker and Toyota Kata author Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive, compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves? Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. For sure, and done by external people. And we actually wrote about that uh, in the Toyota Way to Continuous Improvement. When you've got those internal people, if they're the ones doing the work and if they're the ones that you sent off for, you know, heaven forbid, certification in something, what they're doing is they're bringing their knowledge and experience and raising the performance level of that area. But they're not leaving any of themselves behind. They're just leaving. And then when they go away, you know, you regress back to prior levels of performance. So entropy kicks in. And I think that's kind of a one of the big things that bothers me is I always get these questions around, you know, sustainability and how do you make this self-sustaining? And again, I, I turn people off. I say, it's not self-sustaining. It, it's absolutely, there's, you know, I see these graphics and again, I troll people on LinkedIn. You, you see people pushing a boulder up a hill and they put a wedge underneath it and, and label that wedge standard. Like somehow standards are going to keep you from backsliding and that's totally false. And it's, it's a shame because people are getting false notions that, you know, you can do something to someone or an area and it's going to stay like that. It's not. Higher levels of performance require higher levels of inputs, higher energy. You know, we could sit here all day and, and swap stories about, you know, different clients, but those, that first 80% of the improvement they're going to make is the easy stuff. That's the basic stuff that they should have been doing already. You know, that last 20 on that journey to excellence, those problems require much higher skill sets, much more developed people, much more switched on organizations that work better cross-functionally. You know, you can go in and clean up a shipping dock and find a, a bunch of stuff that you hadn't found and, you know, have a nice quarter million dollar event. 
But when you start getting up into what is the method that we use to replenish to our customers and link with our supplier, that's a big cross-functional, hairy-type deal. You need some good people doing that, and it's not going to be a world-class manufacturing team seagulling in for three months and then never to be seen again. I mean, that's not sustainable. It's like the SAS. They come in ropes through the windows, smash in. Look, we're the world-class manufacturing team. That's right. Everybody down. You drop that donut. Yeah, on the floor. It's Nobody like- move. So it's not a um, it's not a wham bam thank you ma'am you know doing lean however you budget doing lean isn't a wham bam thank you man solution that's going to deliver you results overnight this is a long term cultural change. And if you get back to your earlier comments about working with your trainer, if you think back to the words they used, they were they were selective about them. You know when you're doing something in an experiment, you're putting in place a countermeasure. You're not putting in place a solution. And it sounds like we're just you know playing with the English language, but a countermeasure is something that's effective in the current environment with the current volume with the current product mix with the current customers with the current supply base with the current you know global environment it's just a countermeasure a solution implies ta-da we're done team photo (laughs) you're not it's not cyclical it's not you know the pdca I'm laughing because my phone is full of those team photo scenarios where that's happened in the past. Makes me laugh. Yeah, for sure. Some of my favorites were in the semiconductor field where everybody is completely covered head to toe and yet there's a team photo. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, put put this t-shirt on that says TPS for the team photo. (laughs) It's like, we're not sure who's in this photo, but they're all thumbs upping, so it must have been a good event. Oh, it's so true. There's people listening now chucking away thinking, yes, that's what we do. We had one of those yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've got a team photo. And that's, I love the concept of the team photo, but if it's just a artifact from an event that was a one-off, that's really what I'm poking fun of. Yeah. I love the team photos. I love taking them. If if the team's big enough, you know, and they have to do a panoramic, you start at the left side and they start to pan and you run around real fast and you're on both ends of the photo. Those are all fun. Yeah. Yeah. They are are great. They're very hard to do though. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I do love the concept of it as long as it's part of kind of this broader you know it's, it's like a weekly team photo this is what we worked on last week these are the experiments we ran you know so you're not going to have enough wall space for all the team photos so in your role as um vice president of global operations this sounds amazing what does that entail then uh pretty much everything <laughs> busy man <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much um like i said i've been really fortunate working with with jeff and i you know the, the years that we've i've been able to just you know listen to him and learn from him and just have the discussions because he always starts from uh, kind of a, a framework or a model whereas it's very easy for me to get caught in the details and you know just hit the ground running a thousand miles an hour and it's been great just to have somebody slow down your thinking and, and relax what, what is it uh, we're trying it shouldn't this person you know and just a, a lot of good inquiry and he's been great as a coach for me so i've been very fortunate to have such a good coach and friend he sounds amazing he is he really is on one of the other episodes of this podcast we spoke about generational bias and how people's experiences in life can impact how how they behave in in later life so for example somebody who was brought up in relative wealth 
they will be less concerned about frugality and will be a lot more wasteful. Whereas somebody who was brought up where they've had to scrimp and save and struggle a little bit more. And the analogy that the, the guest gave us was loo roll. So if you've got a whole roll of toilet roll, mm. will you use more of it than if there was only a little bit left? I will use whatever amount is necessary <laughs> for me to... <laughs> whatever does the job. <laughs> yes. You know, and that's an interesting approach, but I think it's... And, and it's perfectly valid but i think if you if you step up a level in the organization regardless of your background or what what if you're a millennial or a zoomer or a, a cynical gen xer like me or even a, a boomer uh, at the end of the career the toilet paper roll the usage doesn't really drive anything how many rolls of toilet paper are we using per quarter is it a problem because it might be wasteful in somebody's opinion but is it really a problem how do we know it's a problem? We'd have to know how much we're supposed to be using. We have to know how much we're using. Is there a gap? And do we have to put in place? Because not every problem you've got bandwidth to solve. And, and that's why I argue with, with organizations about what are you working on? Oh, we've got to get our, you know, we've got 13 Kaizen teams. So that means we're going to have 39 Kaizen events, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, <laughs> but what are you working on? You know, what, what is, what's important? What's critical? Because you've got more problems than you can solve. So what's your filter? I bet, I bet when I asked you to come on this podcast, I bet you never thought you were going to be talking about your toilet roll usage. Well, you know, it, uh, I, I think through the, the miracle of editing, you can make me sound a lot smarter about that question. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'll find a way of making that sound really, yes. really logical. Well, is it a single ply or two ply, Matt? Because that has a, a direct impact. Yeah, it does. It yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. I'll have to add that to my question database. <laughs> yeah, is it the... Is it the kind you buy at uh, Tesco or is it the kind you get at the uh, petrol bowser? You know? It's also expensive now anyway. Yeah, you're not kidding. Um, in the UK, well, when COVID got really bad, this is how crazy things are in the UK, right? When COVID really hit, people were going out and panic buying toilet roll. The shelves in all the supermarkets were completely empty of toilet roll. You couldn't get it anywhere. People had stocked up. Yeah, same in the US. Madness. It was the same in the US with uh, paper towels, really? toilet roll, because uh, you had to join one of the, the, the big warehouse yeah. uh, companies. So you could go in there and you had to know somebody and they'd tell you when the trucks arrived. So you'd be waiting out front, you know, for the doors to open. And, you know, it's like one of those uh, in the U.S. after Thanksgiving sales, you know, where, where people come crashing down the doors and trample old ladies to get to get the $50 <laughs> yeah. television sets. And, the, you know, they're going after the 24 pack of Charmin. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. What's going through people's minds? The problem is, though, when I then go to the shop because I genuinely need to buy some toilet roll, I feel like are people looking at me like I'm one of those people, but I actually need to buy it. I'm not bulk buying. <laughs> well, it's that second cart you're pulling behind you that's full of it. It might be. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I've got my wife pulling that yeah, one. Yeah. It's, for the, <laughs> it's right. for the church. It's for the church people. Relax. It's for the church. <laughs> yeah, we're donating it. So what is it like then to really work at Toyota? I'm just so inspired by the, the I would love to visit Toyota. I'd love to see it. But what what is it actually like? <sighs> it's work. <laughs> you know, it's. They, they don't play any special music. It, it, it's it's like any other any other job. But I think part of the job it's hard to see because you can go down to any of the factories that do the tours, right? They'll put you on the tram, give you the headset, and drive you through the building at you know 30 kilometers per hour, quickly pointing things out as you're desperately trying to you know take in what you see. But really, you know, from the inside doing the work, I just remember that there was a lot of because I was younger, I was being trained. So you know, my, my experience working within that system was the one being trained, not the trainer. But it, it seemed like the supervisors and up just had a, a lot more responsibility because not only do you have to meet the needs of the business, you also have to meet the needs of the team. 
So you have to be developing people. It's not like, well, good luck. We're all counting on you. I hope HR hired, you know, some, some hot shots and young guns and she's, she's awesome. And, and I don't have to worry about her. It's very, very interactive where you are continually you know, working with your, your bosses. Who are your trainers? It's not like there's a separate cohort or cadre running around teaching people, oh, this is the way we do it here. Well, that's what your boss and your coworkers are doing. And that's really the nice thing about just those critical standards that they maintain. Because when we were you know, designing and building factories, every factory Toyota has on the planet is different because they all came into service at different times in their lives. So as they introduce a new technology, it's only after they've beat it to death for a year in a, some you know ratty, daggy-looking outbuilding in Monomachi that the technology has proven itself, so they're going to try it in one plant. So the next time this plant goes through body change, we're going to introduce this technology. So they don't race things. You know, the, mm. They don't chase the, the greatest you know, wonderful new technology that some vendor is going to sell them. You know, they're very methodical. They take their time. Uh, they don't put anything on the critical path that shouldn't be there. And that's very different from most companies because they think we'll succeed on technology. You know, I was at another company and they were doing a competitive engine teardown where they all, you know, here's the BMW engine. Here's the Mercedes engine. Here's the Chevrolet Corvette engine. Here's the, oh my God, here's the Toyota Camry engine. What a little joke this guy is. It doesn't have any features on it. It doesn't have variable valve, dual overhead cam timing, yakety blah, but he did. But you know, so what? Guess what? It runs forever. The only way you can kill it is to drain the oil out of it. So just their approach to a lot of things on the engineering side was, was very different than what I've encountered in other companies. You know, test to failure. You know, here's this thing, you know, people showing up at the test rig at midnight with their tatami mat to load stuff up, to start testing it, you know, and they just sleep there, you know, until the loud bang said the thing broke, then they can get up and do some analysis on it. So they've, they've got a very different approach to, you know, what needs to go into the vehicle. And it's, you know, there have been dozens of books written about all their different processes, but working there, you did have a different focus. It was strongly about the team's got to be successful. We've got really stretched targets we're going to hit. And the only way we're going to hit them is if we work well together. There's no miracles. There's no, oh, thank God Maurice-san, you know, suddenly thought of something in the shower one morning. You know, it, it, it's, it's hard work. It's very methodical. But you do have these wonderful core things that are kind of a core framework that you're using to do the work. There was a lot of it. How do they train people? Do they do they work on an isolated line that doesn't impact the customer to prove that they can do defect-free before they do it? Or do they put straight into the deep end? How does that work? Uh, straight into the deep end with the trainer. So my, my coach trainer, uh, person that was responsible for me, uh, he was there every single day. Um, if I was not like at my desk working on, you know, I mean, we were still manual drawing stuff back then. They, they did have computers. They just didn't have a lot of them. So most of what we did for our factory drawings, we did by hand. And he would send me out on my little learning excursions to please explain. I, I came back to him a couple times with something I was scratching my head. So this makes no sense whatsoever. Because if this works the way I've, I think it works and the way I've designed it, this has zero quality built into it. And he looked at it. He laughed. He said, where were you? And I told him where I was. He's like, Oh my gosh, we haven't updated that since 1954. So back then, <laughs> quality was quality was not such a good thing, and it was you know showed it to everybody, and it was kind of a, a good chuckle. But it was very hands on, you know. In in the interactions, it wasn't like he was teaching me to walk. You know, the the interactions would be brief, very concise, and the questions were always painful, you know, because my answer was always no. 
<laughs> so I just it, it just learned by doing day in and day out, rinse, repeat again and again. And amazing. Again. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's inspiring. It was. I'd love to see it. I really would love to see it. I was invited by uh, my trainer to go to Fiat and have a look at how they were doing world-class manufacturing. At the, and at the time, I was a, a very junior leader in this company. And um, the, the CEO of the company turned around and went, uh, no, he's not going. It's only the senior leaders that visit these plants. And I never got the chance to see it. And I'd love to have seen it. I really would have done. Well, those are the those are the worst people to send. I always tell people two things. Don't read and don't benchmark. And I just get the strangest looks. And they say, why? Because you don't know what problem they solve. All you see is what they're doing. You know, and a, a great example of that, I think, is the, the concept of the marketplace. Like when I worked at Toyota, uh, marketplaces were everywhere and they were masters and mistresses of marketplaces. But when your plant's only building a couple different models, that works. You know, marketplace, supply line side, you know, anybody that works in a factory gets all that, you know, workplace layout, minimize steps, blah, blah, blah. Well, then their engineering department came up with a body shop that could make a Corolla and a minivan and a Camry and a Tundra. They engineered their way into that flexibility where you could put mixed models, completely different families of products in a plant, well, there's not enough room for marketplaces anymore. So they had to completely develop a set part system, which is basically kidding. Mm. But if you benchmark one of their facilities and you say, oh, they've got marketplaces, we need marketplaces. No, marketplaces solved the problem that they had. You go there now, you won't find any. Well, wait a minute, now we need kits. No, you don't. You need to understand your problems and pick the right countermeasure. So benchmarking can be dangerous when people that only have a superficial understanding of what they're looking at come back excited with photos. You know, that's why in the 80s, whenever the big three would go to Japan and tour uh, and want copies of stuff, Toyota would happily hand them out because they knew that there was about zero chance that they understood how to use the tool, what it was for. So I was like, sure, here, here's a binder. <laughs> Have a go. <laughs> yeah, let her rip. What can go wrong? But it's true though, benchmark, benchmark, benchmark. And you're right, we don't we don't know what's gone on behind the scenes. We don't know what the problem was. So how can we benchmark it? Yeah, we're just looking at the tip of the iceberg. And and that's why earlier when I said just get started, find a problem, uh, find a coach, be a coach, mm. and start working on your problems. There's there's not really any magic there. You're gonna develop some neat innovative things as you're solving your own problems. And that's the fun part. I mean, there, it's a huge sense of satisfaction when you increase some type of level of performance. And it doesn't necessarily need to be on a shop floor. You know, we were working with a lending institution, you know, from mortgage application uh, until clear to close, which is kind of the end of their process. You know, it was running some upwards of 70 days. You know, and working with all those different groups, they didn't make a widget. You know, they were processing data and information. You know, and to, to see their their level of satisfaction drop in this below 30 days. You know, they went from industry laggard to industry leader, and it's it's very energizing for the team to solve problems. You know, one of the things that Meyer talks about, I don't know, it's either in the Toyota Way Field Book or one of the ones he and Liker wrote. He said he learned it's very disrespectful to not let people solve their own problem. You know, just that concept of you do the work, you're not smart enough, you know, the SWAT team will come in or your your SAS, you know, <laughs> busting through the windows on on ropes, you know, grabbing all the donuts. But that's not a that's not a good model because it at some deep fundamental level it insults the people. You're not good enough. Great culture. That's what you're saying effectively, isn't it? You're not good enough to solve this problem, so someone else is going to do it for you and then tell you how to do it. Yeah. And if you're out on the and if you're out on the shop floor, who's going to be able to tell you better 
if all of a sudden that thing's making a different sound? Is it the fast rope and SAS people? Or is it the people that are out there every single day? Right, Jim, should we have some fun? Oh, dear. This is... Uh... <laughs> should we play the yes-no game? So well, this game, basically... Uh... <laughs> Go on. I, I will... I will leave that up to you because I can neither yes. uh, affirm nor negate. So that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to fire you some quick fire questions um, over 60 seconds. And the aim is for you not to answer yes or no. And we'll see how far you can go. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's harder than it sounds. I lasted 15 seconds when I did it. I was really rubbish. Oh, Terrible goodness. I was. Oh, so you've decided to perpetuate the pain and suffering on your hapless well, yeah, guests. I need, to, okay. <laughs> I need to find someone who's worse than me so I don't feel as bad. Oh, well, fantastic, <laughs> you ghoul. Let's, uh, let's go. Right, let's do this then. Right, where's the, I've got to find the buttons. It's all going on. It really is. Right, so there's going to be 60 seconds on the clock, please. Do not say yes or no, Jim. Is your name Jim? That is correct. Would you ever appear on a game show? I would never appear on a game show. Are you a Harry Potter fan? I read all the Harry Potter books. Do you like them? Well, my daughter was into them and they said they were all witchcraft, so I had to figure out what they were all about. They were fine. <laughs> <laughs> have you known any of your friends since childhood? Uh, I have not known any of my current friends since childhood. <laughs> I'm the same. Start afresh. That's my motto. Have you ever lived in another country? Uh, I have lived in multiple countries, yes. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were so close to the end, Jim. You were right at the end. How did I do? Oh, I do? you lasted 53 seconds out of 60. That's just painful. Oh, fantastic. No, I'm just sandbagging. So I got room for improvement. There you go. Yeah. Next time, I reckon you'll do more than 60. <laughs> Easily. You did really well, though. You, I could see the cogs going behind your eyes as you're trying to think of the yeah. answers. Well, also, let me, uh, <laughs> in my defense, I'm only on my first coffee. And it's very early where you are. What's the time where you are? It's got to be like not even 7 a.m. yet. Right. Wow. That's mad. Madness. I, I admire your dedication and I appreciate your time. Um, Jim, before I let you go, tell us where people can get your wonderful book and what's next for you. Um, well, right now, our website's uh, toyotawayacademy.com, uh, but that really just takes you to our online uh, Kata course. So we've had uh, over a 1,000 students uh, run through it. It's a short three-hour course. Uh, it's a little more expensive than a, a book you'd buy in the, in the bookstore. But one of the things we love about that course is once you're done with it, you're ready to start. And we will just continue working with organizations, uh, trying to instill within them a sense of challenge and respect for people. I like it. A lovely motto. Uh, what's the name of your book so people can find it on, on Amazon and stuff like that? Uh, well, Jeff and I actually wrote two together. The, the one, uh, The Toyota Way to Continuous Improvement. And then a few years back, we had a little bit of fun and wrote a book called Trenches, which is kind of a, uh, it's not an academic approach. Uh, it's just kind of more of a, a soft industrial fiction type thing. I just invented a genre there. And we had some fun talking about a, an organization on their journey uh, using Kata and working toward the, the goal of continuous improvement and culture change. I like the image on the front of that book as well. When I was doing the research for this show, I thought, is, is that the same Jim? I couldn't work out whether that was a book about war or whether it was a book to go with <laughs> Team Toyota. <laughs> we, we had some fun. 
because we tried to draw the parallels between what lean practitioners, you know, I'll use that term, what lean practitioners face uh, on a daily basis is basically that whistleblowing and them going over the top in the trenches. So if anybody's got any historical references, you know how that usually ended. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jim. I really appreciate your time today. It's been so good talking to you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. So some key takeaways from today's discussion with Jim. It's a common theme. It's come up in many of our conversations with our wonderful guests. People development, invest in your people. It is all about your people. Culture, culture, culture. There's no point having a team that parachutes in and does lean activity. It's got to be with your people. Jim made a really, really good point about how would you feel if you brought someone else in to solve your problem and then they told you how to continue with that after you've they've done it. it you've got to own it. It's, it's really disrespectful to the people. Allow them to own the solution, own the problem, get them involved. It's that, that development piece is massive set business targets that's how it's done don't chase money set business targets the money will come but it's all about the business targets creating that culture getting it to cascade down the leaders are the trainers so the bosses and the managers train people and it moves down the levels like, like a cascading down like like water trickling down a waterfall it's all about the journey and about the learning and the experience it's okay to fail and it's okay to make mistakes that's how we learn and that's how we develop as individuals and you will develop your culture and the last one i think which is really interesting for me is benchmarking can be dangerous so although we do encourage benchmarking in general in organizations we say benchmark them they're doing really really well or benchmark that unit because they're smashing this metric you don't know what the problem was that they were trying to solve so although you might have the solution it might not work for you and it might not be appropriate for you because you don't know what problem they were trying to solve. So you need to understand the full context before you do benchmarking. Don't just try and land grab the numbers that you like. Super interesting. That brings us to an end of this episode of the Ever Saleem podcast. Thanks so much to Jim for joining us today and letting us peer through the window into the incredible To Go Away Academy and hear his wonderful experiences. The work that you've done and continue to do is remarkable and I really do thank you for giving up so much of your valuable time for us today, especially so early in the morning. If you like the sound of today's show and would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Eversaline podcast at eversaline.com. We will also find episodes that you might have missed, so check them out. Also, if you're on the socials, search for the Eversaline podcast, give us a follow and let me know about your lean efforts because I would love to hear them. Thank you so much and I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, Eversaline, you know it makes sense. The Eversaline podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit eversaline.com to find out more. Yeah.